the great fundamental issue now before our people can be taken seriously. It is, are the American people fit to govern themselves, to rule themselves, to control themselves? I believe they are. My opponents do not. Councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. Whether we shape the future in the image of our hopes is ours is to determine by our actions and our choices. If we succeed, generations to come will say of us now living that we mastered our moment. America first. This is The Right Take. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 61 of The Right Take. I'm Eric Lindrum, here with my co-host Jacob Grandstaff, and we've got a very full show here for you guys today. We're going to talk about a wide variety of subjects from the latest hot-button cultural social issues to the latest surprising news from the economy and the fate of one particular market that may very well be hearing its death toll. The, the, the bell is tolling for it a lot sooner than I think most of us expected. We will come to that. And then, of course, for our main topic, we will be talking about something very, very broad, something uh, kind of conspiratorial, one of those like kind of grand uh, speculative discussions that uh, I, I think we are going to have a lot of fun with here. Uh, but to start off, uh, I guess, you know I will never pass up an opportunity to do some election recap. I I love covering the results of the latest elections. We don't have any elections to update you on here in the United States, but overseas, we've talked about it previously on the podcast, and we have the results in, of course, from the presidential election in France. And unfortunately, they cucked once again. They decided not to save themselves for God knows what reason. Macron won re-election, the first uh, French president to do so in 20 years. He defeated Marine Le Pen. Now he beat her, and at the time of recording, these are the latest updates with pretty much all the vote totals recorded. 
He got about 58.6% to her 41.5%, so that's a roughly 17-point margin. That's that's just a little over half of the margin by which he beat her in 2017. He beat her by a whole 32 points when he first got elected. Again, this was a rematch election. His vote total noticeably, just kind of comparing and contrasting the numbers here, his vote percentage and overall vote total decreased. He got uh, 20.74 million votes in 2017. But this time around, he got about 2 million votes less than that, whereas Le Pen's totals went up. She went from 10.6 to currently about 13.3. Again, these numbers, these specific numbers are subject to change. But she gained almost 3 million votes while Macron lost about 2 million votes. She increased her overall percentage up by about 7 points. His percentage decreased by 8 points. So this is progress. It wasn't the result we were hoping for, the result that uh, Nigel Farage predicted way back in 2017 that she would pull off, you know, the the Trump slash Brexit election of France. She didn't win, unfortunately. And watching the mainstream media coverage, it's just absolutely ridiculous. The BBC especially, of all the coverage, Jacob, because it's been said, like, every single article is gaslighting on this. Every article you will find about Marine Le Pen and the French presidential election screams she's far right she's far right this is the far right the far right this is the events the far right in france the bbc was just absolutely sucking up to macron in every way possible just singing his praises oh he's the greatest statesman alive he managed to pull off this <laughs> this incredible re-election you can't understate you can't overstate the importance of this this is so important you know that that's just the legacy media breathing a huge sigh of relief that their new globalist puppet, the new figurehead of the EU since Merkel has stepped down over in Germany, the new de facto leader of the European Union managed to survive re-election. That's all this was about. This is about protecting the globalist world order, and Marie Le Pen was the biggest threat to that order since Trump and since Brexit. So, of course, they did their job, and they managed to you know, scare enough French people into thinking, oh, Marine Le Pen bad, Marine Le Pen racist, we're going to vote for cucked guy. So, Well, right a week before the election, they all brought out old charges of corruption like from 20 years ago and of course the new generation they haven't heard of those charges so you mm-hmm. know people turn on the news oh wow every single news outlet is saying that Le Pen is corrupt that she is involved in an embezzlement scandal so it's, right they, they had the, the their thumbs very firmly on the scales in that one exactly but again it needs to be said this is progress and the fact that this party the national front slash uh, now national rally party that she is in charge of went from being a quote-unquote fringe party to a party that now got almost 42% of the vote in a presidential election. That's a huge deal. Again, that's like if, you know, the Constitution Party here in the United States suddenly surpassed the Republican Party, which, again, we don't have a parliamentary system. That'll never happen. But she has made the National Front a viable mainstream party, and they have their uh, legislative elections next month in in June. So uh, we'll see if the National Front makes any progress there or if Macron's party otherwise takes a hit there. That remains to be seen because there's a lot of discontent. The the general consensus from the more level-headed media analyses is that this isn't exactly a resounding uh, referendum for Macron. This was more like kind of, okay, we really don't want Le Pen, but we don't like Macron. Like a lot of the, again, the major center-right and center-left parties all but collapsed. You had this crazy uh, socialist candidate, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who came in a narrow third, and a lot of his voters, he's kind of like the Bernie of France, basically, and a lot of his voters were just so disillusioned, they just stayed home and didn't bother voting. Macron, his approval ratings are still underwater by double digits consistently, so he doesn't really have a uh, a mandate to govern. It was more just, you know, once again, beating back the so-called evil far right. So we'll see. And again, we'll see if progress is made elsewhere in Europe and overseas, and certainly back here in the United States. Uh, over the weekend, of course, President Trump had his rally in Ohio, in, um, in Delaware, Ohio. I had no idea that Delaware was located in Ohio now, <laughs> outside of Columbus, for the great J.D. Vance, the Senate candidate whom he endorsed, who spoke before him and spoke during the rally. 
Trump's speech was great. His endorsement of J.D. Vance was brutally honest. He addressed all these nonstop accusations head on that, oh, J.D. Vance was anti-Trump. I love – only Trump could get away with this. He started off very bluntly. He's like, you know, J.D., let's be honest. He said some pretty bad shit about me in the past. <laughs> but but he's come back. He's come around. And he's like, if I was to be honest, you know, they all said bad things. You know, all the other candidates were running. They all said bad things about me. If I were to disqualify them based on that, I wouldn't endorse anybody, right? Like he was just being brutally nice, honest nice. about it. So he, he – I think – because I had a buddy on the ground, actually, a mutual friend of ours, Jacob, who was at the rally in Ohio who commented that um, when J.D. spoke earlier in the rally before Trump showed up, he gave his own speech. Uh, he described it as a low-energy crowd for J.D., and I, I don't think it really translated well over the live stream. I was watching the RSBN feed because uh, there were people in the stands with J.D. Vance shirts and posters and everything, and I liked his speech. The content of his speech was good. The things he was saying was good. I'll admit his delivery wasn't the greatest. He kind of stuttered here and there. But then his comments during Trump's appearance were good. And when Trump was saying what he was saying about J.D., the crowd was all in on it. Like, I get the sense that certainly in Ohio, again, a working class state that loves Trump, irrespective of the Republican Party, I think his endorsement is probably going to carry J.D. Vance over the line, or at least I hope so. With, if nothing else, kind of reluctant, maybe kind of skeptical people who otherwise had no clue who to vote for. They were undecided. Like, oh, OK, let's go ahead and let's just give the guy Trump endorsed a chance. And hopefully that will be enough. And again, if my predictions, if my hopes and dreams come true, he will be one of the best senators we could have ever hoped for and maybe a future national figure in American and conservative populist politics. So for this first topic, uh, we had to address this Netflix. So Netflix, of course, is something that's become a part of our pop culture. I have a Netflix account. Uh, so many, most of my friends have Netflix. We love to watch, you know, some of our old favorites on Netflix. You know, I was just watched, um, I rewatched the movie Argo the other day on Netflix, that Ben Affleck movie from 2012 about the Iran hostage crisis. Love that movie. I watched that Gary Oldman movie about Winston Churchill, Darkest Hour. Loved it. Great. Never seen it before. They have some really banger original shows on Netflix, too. Like the, of all things, the League of Legends series, Arcane. My God, Jake, I, I don't think you've seen it, Jacob, but that is a top three series for me. It's an original Netflix series based on the video game, and it's one of the best TV shows I've ever seen in my life of any genre. It, you know, people know the phrase Netflix and chill. It's lexicon. Well, it's become, it basically, it's become for streaming services what Coke became for soda, what mm-hmm. Nike became for tennis shoes. What or, Disney was for animation back and, in the day. And in some countries, like a lot of Eastern European countries, they call tennis shoes Adidas because that was the only kind of tennis shoes they had under communism. And so Adidas became just the, the catch-all phrase for tennis shoes. Or how you call, you know, a lip balm chapstick or tissues Kleenex. Or you know, like, to, to search Google. You just you don't mm-hmm. say, I'm going to Yahoo that or I'm going to Bing that. Yeah. I'm going I'm to go Google that. So. <laughs> Gmail, exactly. It was the streaming service. It got the ball rolling. Some would say it was the thing that killed Blockbuster. So if that is the case, I will never forgive it for that because I love I love those memories I had as a kid from Blockbuster. But it got the ball rolling on the modern streaming phenomena. And now, of course, everyone has a streaming service. There's Disney Plus. There's uh, Amazon. Amazon has several streaming services. There's you know HBO Max. There's all these things. And of course, we have the saga of CNN Plus. We will come to that later. But Netflix has taken a nosedive. They may. absolutely went belly up. The God, the God King bleeds, as it were. So for this topic, we decided to bring on John Manfreda from the J22 Report, and seek, he's also a Seeking Alpha contributor. He's a he's a friend of the show, a longtime listener, and he most recently called the 2020 gold market correction, the 2021 gold bull market resumption, the top of the sports card market from last year. He's been featured on Forbes, OilPrice.com, Business Insider, among other publications. For his day job, he's also an accountant. And last year, he told us privately that there were huge problems brewing in big tech. So, John, how goes it, my man? Well, I mean, for Netflix, it's not uh, that good. So, you know, I looked at just 
before coming on the show, uh, what every stock does is forward guidance. And so in their forward guidance, they're actually forecasting. This, this is what Netflix is saying, not even me. More losses ahead. Decline in subscribers. And how they're going to make up for those uh, declining subscribers is they're going to crack down on sharing accounts. So if you share an account, they'll just ban the person, you know, whose named it's not under or and ad support level. So their shows, which are ad free, will now in the future might start having ads uh, in between them. Oh, so, I mean, well, see, that's the thing with streaming services. Like if I'm going to pay and I was looking at the prices, I've never had a Netflix account. Personally, I have Hulu just because it's bundled with my phone. But they've raised their prices, like the highest, most expensive uh, package now is now $20 if you want to share. I think it's with one other person. But the thing is, if I'm going to pay $20 a month for a streaming service, I don't want to watch ads. I want to just watch the shows. That's kind of the whole idea of streaming service, to cut the cord and go to streaming. Exactly, because I use Hulu accounts as well, and they still do have ads in some of their programming as well, as well and it's so annoying. And Netflix, is, yeah. Netflix never had that, so that was one plus Netflix had. But now it seems they, they're about to shoot themselves in both feet with that one. So from what I'm seeing, from what the articles I've read, correct me if I'm wrong, John, but uh, just from what I've seen, they lost 200,000 subscribers in Q1, and they're looking to use to lose $2 million and more is that throughout the remainder of the year that they're thinking that they may end up losing two million yeah that i would say it's either remainder of the year or the, or the next two years but i actually went digging in their financial statements and i'm actually just going to go quickly i guess because this isn't a finance show so i don't expect a lot of readers to completely understand this but uh on its income statement sales were only up and i did it on a year-over-year basis and which that basically means is netflix's income around you know earnings around same time last year so march of 2021 sales were up marginally however it's net income declined and the main reason it's net income declined was because they 30 percent of their interest income declined and interest income is basically income you get from your bank. You know, you put money in the bank, you get interest. That declined by 30%. And so when I saw that, I immediately went to their balance sheet. And on a year-over-year basis, uh, the cash, the amount of cash Netflix is holding declined by roughly 28%. And normally, uh, I, went, I looked at total assets, and that was only up by 12% year over year. But here's the other thing, talking about cotton, 86% of that increase in assets was an increase of uh, content assets, which, you know, one of the reasons I think they're declining subscribers is due to their content. So these assets can vary. One thing about finance is assets can very quickly turn into liabilities or just expenses down the road. So we have no idea how good these assets uh, really are. So And their liabilities... Uh, remain the same on a year-over-year basis. So, so are we in their, their assets? You're talking about their original shows that they've produced. Yeah, I would say most of their assets are uh, content assets, which are shows. Yeah, they produce because they don't have any ad revenue, and yeah, they don't have any ad revenue. So there could be also actors that they have. Uh, like, I mean, I watch Cobra Kai, so like Tanner Buchanan. <laughs> Right. He worked for Netflix. So a lot of them, they're actors and shows they have. So and most of their increase in assets and they even had an acquisition of I don't know the exact number because it's 
you have to multiply it by a thousand at the very minute, but 125 million acquisition. And that's mainly either actors or, you know, future shows. Right. Because as we mentioned before, Netflix did kind of revolutionize the streaming scene with making, you know, all this older content accessible and more available old movies and TV shows. But then when they did finally announce we are creating our own content, it all started way back. Remember when 2013, House of Cards, the American adaptation of the British TV show, that too was a revolutionary moment. Like, wow, a streaming service creating its own thing. And again, they've done that since then with, you know, uh, Stranger Things and Squid Game and again, Arcane and other shows like that. Dark, that German uh, sci-fi time travel series, another great show. So that was, and again, that too kind of set the standard that other streaming platforms are kind of doing the same thing. Again, Hulu and Disney Plus and a lot of these other things, they are creating their own content that is uniquely available. Like Disney's mostly doing that with Star Wars content. So that again was how Netflix kind of led the way, but now it seems to be kind of dwindling and backfiring on them almost. Yeah, what else is backfiring on them, too, is like, I'll just give two examples. They used to have Cheers, which is an old, you know, 1990s show. But because the rights were owned, I think, by CBS, they no longer could stream it. So what got them to do the upstart was, and they also used to have that 70s show. And then that was uh, canceled <laughs> because I think uh, Fox owned it. So I think The Office, too. Shows. The Office, too, is gone, isn't it? Yeah, it was on Netflix for a yeah. long time, and it was like a big deal when they took it off. I remember, yeah. And one thing that's really bad for them is like Disney owns ABC, so they're not going to be able to get any classic ABC shows. So Mm. a lot of that content they had, uh, that won't be there. And this even like if you dig into the cash flow state, March this quarter, if you look at free cash flow, it actually increased by 19 percent from, you know, March of 2021. However, this this time period of the year is always its best to come if you look at last year uh last year on a yearly basis for the whole year of uh, 2021 uh in december netflix actually lost 131 million dollars on it just so operationally it's actually still unprofitable and now they've lost subscribers and that quarter they lost about 569 million bucks and in September of 2021, that quarter, 84 million. Is this kind of is this a matter of over of so much competition now between Amazon, Hulu, Disney, all this stuff? Is this a matter of also in conjunction with that? Is this a matter of the market just being oversaturated that there's just so much streaming content out there now that all the platforms are suffering, even the the giant that is Netflix? Like, what exactly are the broader social implications here as a result of what's happening with Netflix? Uh, well, I'll, I'll start with you. Uh, they're losing subscribers. Uh, they're losing money. Uh, do you think it's the content? Uh, do you think it's pub- uh, mess- political messaging? What do you What do you think so far? I mean, of course, there have been past attempts to boycott Netflix for political and or social reasons, of course, when the Obamas announced that they were joining the board of Netflix. And, of course, I remember the the kerfuffle over that show Cuties, that show which basically promoted pedophilia and how a lot of people were uh, boycotting Netflix over that. And that some people did leave, but that didn't seem to affect their bottom dollar because that happened. When did that happen, Jay? Was that like 2020 when that happened or was that 19? Like that feels like a long time ago when that whole – I think happened. I think it was post-COVID. It might was have it been 20, or, uh, spring 2021. Um at 2021 and 2020 kind of ran together. But the yeah. thing is, like, with this, you would have to kind of survey a lot of these people, a lot of these 200,000 uh, people who have lost, that Netflix has lost over the past three months, and mm-hmm. kind of ask them, 
But one thing that I think is hurting Netflix is they tried to be the Google of streaming. They tried to be – rather than beat their competition, they tried to destroy their competition. They, they sold themselves as the Amazon of streaming. They wanted to do to their competitors what Amazon did to all their competitors. But streaming isn't the same as – Shipping, you know, it's not the same as Google's internet search. You just simply can't do that, especially. And I think, um, John, would you say that it might have something to do with the fact that Netflix they don't they don't do anything else, as far as I'm aware. All they do is stream. No, they don't. No, they don't. Like Disney is complete. Like it's a completely broad based company. Like it's not just like they own ESPN, they own ABC. Uh, they're a huge amount of things. Netflix is mainly a. Uh, streaming company and i know disney's entered to compete and disney also like hulu's owned by them uh so there's a lot of different ones but netflix started doing their own shows and you know when you have to pay you know high-paid actors and whatnot all of a sudden those costs balloon and netflix i think a lot of those boycotts they may have not happened at first but i think over time people started to boycott because if you look at what I said for 2021, just from an operational standpoint, that was unprofitable. Uh, so I think COVID gave them a boost, but maybe they got the taste of the content and just were like, we're going to take our uh, services somewhere else. Yeah, that and that actually be- ties into analysis I'd heard from a, a YouTuber called The Critical Drinker who does reviews of movies and TV shows and long-form discussions with other critics. And they did talk about this, you know, asking the question, has the streaming bubble burst? And he mentioned, you know, kind of what you just said, how COVID obviously was a huge boost to these streaming companies because everyone's in quarantine, everyone's at home, not working, kids are out of school. This is the prime time for content, for them to just be sitting on Netflix and just binging shows and movies for hours and hours and hours on end. So they had a huge boost from that. But yeah, like you said, they saw the content and saw that, you know, for every one arcane or one squid game, there were 10 or 15 other movies or shows that were garbage that, you know, it's like this is just another Netflix original. So people got bored of that very quickly. And of course, certainly now we're quarantine it's it's pretty much over we know covid is pretty much over at this point you could argue maybe the end of the travel mask mandate might have been the final blow to it but realistically people started going back to normal a while ago but yeah i I know from anecdotal evidence i know my own parents they uh, they canceled their netflix subscription but it was mainly from watching netflix so they got so turned off to it they just uh, they found the shows too filthy they Mm. just couldn't couldn't stomach anymore so they quit Netflix. I know my sister quit. She's now with Disney Plus. <laughs> so I I do think that their the content of their programming they do tend to be preachy. Um, the t- yeah. and John, you mentioned I thought we were talking about Cobra Kai actually how they were trying to turn Cobra Kai somewhat more woke than what Cobra than what Cobra Kai had been with YouTube. Um, you had mentioned oh, that they yeah. they tried to subtly put that kind of that kind of content in there. Almost as if they're trying to – they see it themselves as missionaries of wokeism or missionaries of left-wing politics rather than just an entertainment company. But uh, one, one last question I did want to ask you, John, um, before we let you go is if you were to advise Netflix, like if you were to be hired on as a consultant, what is there any way that they could improve their standing relative to their competitors without having to invest in alternative forms of the economy? Is there any way that they could – remain competitive or remain the top dog in streaming without having to branch out and uh, diversify? Well, I would just say they would have to uh, rebrand. Like, I think one of the things they can do is say, you know, now I think this won't really do a difference. A lot of people say this is political, but just, you know, and they're uh, just say, we believe in uh, medical freedom. We're going to end our vax mandates for, uh, for our staff. Uh, I think some people will be. And then the second thing is, 
the History Channel had a lot of great old documentaries, Revolutionary War. Uh, they had a great show, Vikings. And I don't see those on a lot of streaming platforms, or at least owned, at least towards my knowledge. So I think if they got a lot of those and just had, I mean, had, you know, sort of a balance of their uh, entertainment. So I, I would say that would be the first thing. And uh, that's what I would do mainly is, you know, have a balance of entertainment. Uh, they can go through documentaries. Because I think their documentaries are horrible. Uh, no matter what side of the political spectrum they are, I mean, if there's uh, one, so they can go through documentaries and expand the uh, stuff like foreign films. Yeah, if there's so. one trend with Netflix that is, I I fully understand why it's become a mainstream thing. It's all the true crimes genre. Like, there's so much true crime on Netflix, like documentaries about famous serial killers and all these other things and the mafia and whatnot. And I genuinely find those compelling. I totally get why those are popular. So that's one thing Netflix pretty consistently does well i've still seen a few stinkers here and there like just bad true crime documentaries but by and large i i enjoy them for the most part whether they're movies or whether they're short you know, miniseries or whatnot that's all good stuff but yeah that again for every one good series or one good documentary or one good movie you have 10 15 others that are just garbage like c tier d tier that you're just going to gloss over and be like oh there's another one with the big red n on it for this is another netflix original thing because it's not a novelty anymore again it's not a novelty like when house of cards came out almost 10 years ago now a lot of things Netflix does are not novelties anymore because the market is oversaturated. And again, you are seeing this with other platforms as well, including not the least of which is CNN plus, which we will get to for our next topic. So John want to thank you so much for joining us on the economic aspects of this. And we uh, hope to hear back from you soon in the future. Ah, thank you for having me. So, and it's a great show. So I uh, look forward to hear to listening to the rest of this. All right. Thank you until next time, John. Now, speaking of streaming platforms that are doing terrible and going under, have you ever heard of this fellow by the name of Chris Wallace? He used to work for Fox News and decided they were going too far right wing, so he decided to migrate to a better platform, a platform that was more dynamic, a platform that was more tech-savvy, a platform that was more in tune with the youth end of this day and age um whatever happened to that guy you, yeah you, the guy who loved to make a you know like a showboat at presidential primary debates and general election debates involving trump and the guy who clearly and needs to be needs to be said has clearly got daddy issues because again his father was also a famous broadcaster yeah, mike you can, wallace you can tell he's living under his father's famous shadow and trump called him out on that as well and repeatedly calls him out on that and you can tell it bothers him because again like the cuomo brothers it is true that that is where family ties run a little too deep and those shadows hang over him yeah, that guy, that absolute loser. Yeah, he left Fox for uh, uh, something that CNN, a new project that CNN was embarking on, a new uh, something that was going to be the next big thing, right? It was going to be the the biggest thing in cable news since the creation of CNN itself. You know, they, they were that self-righteous about it. As we talked, we were talking about streaming. They were about to create their own streaming service behind a paywall, of course, called, wait for it, please, CNN plus original very original <laughs> very we, haven't, original. we haven't heard that before it's not the, like the company plus no. yeah no i i can't think of any others that have done that before but yeah so cnn plus this oh do you see some of these numbers jacob they spent 300 million dollars advertising this thing 300 million in marketing alone that's not even the production costs 300 million that's isn't that like how much hillary spent in 2016 in her entire campaign 
Or, uh, or maybe that was Jeb Bush I'm thinking of. But either way. Yeah, yeah. They, they got. I think Jeb Bush probably got, actually got more value for his buck than CNN did. He got one delegate out Man, of 300 I, I miss the startup era of the 90s and the early 2000s. Remember back when you would have these millennials or late Gen Xers who would take nothing and just create a media empire or a social mm-hmm. media empire out of just nothing? Yeah. Now you've got these mega corporations that want to repeat that. They want to they recreate that, and they end up blowing hundreds of millions of dollars. Imagine if some smart, tech-savvy millennial had $300 million, what he could do with that. Oh, my goodness. Well, he, I tell you what he could certainly do. Again, going back to the numbers, Mason, he could have gotten more bang for his buck than 10,000 viewers per day, which is what CNN Plus was getting. Over the course of its span, it lasted for one month, guys. It lasted from late March to late April of this year. Rip CNN Plus March 2022 to April 2022. One month and less than 10,000 viewers per day for a month. That is, I mean, that's a fraction of what Joe Rogan gets. That's that's less than a decimal of a fraction. That's that is a microscopic figure compared to these online podcasts and platforms. You know, again, like Ben Shapiro, The Daily Wire, so many of these other things, YouTube channels, YouTube live streamers who just get more views than that. Unboxing videos that get more views than that per day. That is absolutely embarrassing and they hired a whole staff they had some of their hosts signed on for additional content again they had chris wallace that is why he left the biggest cable news channel in america if not the whole world right now he left it for cnn plus he was going to be like you know the leader he was going to be the captain of this new flagship and look where it got him and look where it got all of these other losers and i i i love this one thing i was seeing this kind of reminds me a little back to jacob you remember the uh the, the learn to code meme Remember that? So I believe that was a 2016 meme. Was yeah, it not? That, that yeah. Was so meme. I was tuned out in 2016. Okay. I didn't. That, I w- wasn't paying attention. That was a meme about how like journalists, how, like journalism was on the decline, and like journalists are getting fired left and right because you, know, you know people aren't just aren't really reading a lot of these platforms anymore. And a meme from the right, from you know the, the Pepe the Frog era of the online right before censorship came in, was tweeting at these journalists hashtag Learn to Code. Like, haha, sucks for you with your journalism degree. How about you learn something useful like coding? That's where it came from. And there was a campaign started, a very astroturf campaign, kind of kind of almost like Gamergate in a way to have learn to code be officially classified as a as a hateful slogan as as hate speech basically (laughs) and they did and they got a lot of people banned for it for saying learn to code hashtag learn to code became like something you would get banned for posting on twitter well it just shows the cozy relationship between mainstream journalists and big tech they're basically one and the same exactly there's there's no daylight between it but they, they always posited that they always you know Framed this as these are real people. These journalists are real people who are suffering a downturn in the industry. How can are you they say though? that? Yeah, no, they're of course they're not real people. <laughs> but either way, you're seeing it again. There was one article I remember. I don't remember which outlet it was from, but there was an article about this, like talking about almost like a revival of this with CNN Plus. People mocking the downfall of CNN, and not just conservatives, not just conservatives, but a lot of people. Trevor Noah, the leftist comedian, late night talk show host, he was dunking on CNN Plus. A lot of these people were making fun of it. And there was this one article saying, like, you know, don't make fun of CNN Plus's downfall because that's thousands of people who lost their jobs and don't know what to do now. And all I could think in my head was, learn to code, boys and girls. Learn to code. Well, I remember, Suck it. Yeah, I remember whenever the Neocon outlet, what was Bill Crystal's uh, Weekly Standard? Weekly I remember Standard. whenever that went under, everyone on the right was celebrating. Like, even people who were never Trump, they were celebrating because they, were, they had become so obnoxious. Even some never Trumpers couldn't stand them. And I remember some of these uh, these more uh, what do you what do they call themselves? Oh yeah, principled conservatives. They were arguing, well, now you're celebrating that people aren't going to be able to buy themselves their kids Christmas presents. I'm thinking if you're working for the Weekly Standard, I'm pretty sure you got enough money in the bank to afford Christmas presents. But if you don't, it's all the it's all the better because you know 
I feel sorry for the kid, but you shouldn't be working for an outlet that called for the death of 100,000 Iraqis. Like, what about all those dead Iraqi kids? They're not going to get presents from their from their parents. You know, they're not going to get anything from their parents. So, yeah, I mean, it, it sucks. But at the same time, the, the Weekly Standard and these neoconservative outlets, they were cheering on the Iraq war. But speaking of Chris Wallace. Uh, hang on. Before we do that, I have to talk about this. I, this is something I hinted at already. I got to play this. I don't think you because you didn't hear this, Jacob, right? I mentioned uh, uh, Trevor Noah, the guy who took over for Jon Stewart ripping on CNN. You didn't hear what he had to say, did you? I don't, no, I didn't. OK, this then I got to get your reaction live because this is too good. This is from his show, uh, his you know obituary for CNN+. Plus. There are now more streaming services than hot takes about Elon Musk, right? There's everything. There's, there's Netflix. There's Hulu. There's... Paramount Plus, there's HBO Max, there's Paramount Plus, and of course, everyone's favorite, Paramount Plus. <laughs> and so, last month, seeing the gap in the market, CNN launched its own streaming service called CNN Plus. And this was a big deal. In fact, they said it would be the future of news. And if that's the case, the future's looking bleak. Less than a month after launching, CNN Plus announced today the streaming service is shutting down. It launched March 29th. Warner Brothers Discovery Network yeah, made that decision, right though, saying <laughs> it was about quality and, quote, customers will be best served with a simpler streaming choice. Last week, CNBC reported that the streaming service had less than 10,000 views a day. About $300 million has been invested so far in CNN Plus. The plan, according to my sources, was to put a billion dollars into it over the course of four years, hoping to hit profit after four years. Wow, did they say they had less than 10,000 views a day? You could have just been on TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) He's not wrong. wild. CNN Plus was such a disaster, they'll have to send Anderson Cooper to cover it in a tight black (laughs) T-shirt. This is so insane. The craziest part of the story is that they said they spent $300 million on this thing. $300 million. What did you do with that? Did you, like, clone Wolf Blitzer or something? (laughs) No, because if you did that, I'd actually watch that show. Yeah, I would. (laughs) You want to know what the worst part about the CNN Plus thing is? It's that I can't make jokes about all the shows on it because nobody knows what they are. (laughs) Yeah, it's not fair. It's not like you're going to understand a joke about the CNN Plus show Jake Tapper's Book Club because you don't even know if that's a real show. But it is. Or is it? No, I'm kidding. It's fake. It's fake. Ah, you believe me. It's actually real. You see, you don't know. That's my You don't know. Oh, see, I, again, props to Trevor Noah. I, I don't think he's funny. I think, he, of course, he's a leftist hack who he's only somewhat prominent because he got this job. He's replacing John Stewart, who came before him, who was much bigger in this field. But, but see, the great. thing that is, like, we rag on Fox Nation all the time. Like, we make fun of Fox oh, of Nation for being a joke. But the and thing they, is, it, like, it has underperformed compared to what they were expecting. But it, it did better than this. But the thing is, Chris Wallace would be doing a lot better than this if he had yes. just stuck with Fox News <laughs> and had taken a spot on Fox Nation. But the thing is about Chris Wallace is like a lot of the principled conservatives or JFK, LBJ Democrats, which I'm assuming Chris Wallace is. That seems to be what he always portrayed himself as. Most likely. They viewed Fox News as veering too far to the right, too far into crazy land, and they wanted to gear back toward the center. They believed they were part of the sensible center, and they viewed CNN because used to MSNBC was on the left. The Fox News was on the right. CNN was in the center. That's why it played Mm -hmm. in airports. The problem is Chris Wallace, like a lot of older liberals, 
is they don't understand just how far the left has gone. They don't understand how far the mainstream Democratic Party has gone. Mm-hmm. And this is a perfect example. This is since he's not going to be on CNN Plus anymore. We figured we can give him one last hurrah by airing part of his interview with Jen Psaki. And just listen to this, how he tries to sound like the sensible centrist, and she's just not having it. I, I just want to drill down a little bit here, though, Jen, because, look, I understand that it's it's an emotionally fraught issue. I understand that some of the supporters of the bill have used inflammatory yeah. language saying that. Uh, just for context, they're talking, of course, about the Florida parental rights law, a.k.a. the don't say gay bill. That, that opponents of the bill want to sexualize children or groom children. On the other hand, don't parents have a right to have concern. I mean, we're talking specifically here about teaching about sex in kindergarten through third grade. I have to say, as a parent, I would have problems with that. But Uh-oh. the law is not about teaching sex education. It's about teaching about gender identity. And so what what do you do if a parent or a kid... Oh, well, one, say- one second, one second. I, I'm wondering, does Chris Wallace even know what gender identity means? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, because he sh- if he knew half as much about this issue as you know you and I do, he would understand this is just classic obfuscation right here. This is her just completely you know getting into the semantics of it and trying to claim, oh no no it's it's not that it's this and this is totally appropriate. But you know she makes it sound like oh gender identity like you know girls are pink and guys are blue. No, but you know, I mean like I, I'm wondering if he actually if he comprehends what this concept even means or if he's just too old to understand this concept because a lot of people are actually too old to understand what this is. They still view things as gay and straight. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't even know if he understands what she's talking about. A kid in one of these elementary schools says, what about Sally? Sally has two moms. Or I'm not sure if I'm a girl or a boy. I mean, these are kids who are experiencing, um, you know, these moments in their lives. I also think that these are not... There is not a big record of there being either sex education or extensive gender identity education in these schools. And this is creating a problem or a political cudgel about an issue that I don't think exists. Okay, first off, no, on both of those things, one, no, Jen, Peppermint Patty, you shall be teaching gender identity or sex education to third graders, all right? They're prepubescent. They are a long ways away from learning about that stuff. So the answer is no. Trying to frame this as false dichotomy is, oh, it's one or the other. You know, sure, we don't need to teach sex education, but we do need to teach gender identity. No, both are off the table, period. But second, no kid is in first grade is going to go, I don't know if I'm a boy or a girl. No kid does that. They only say that when their psycho pink-haired parents, educated at Berkeley, educated at Berkeley, are telling them, oh, you don't have to choose. You don't have to be one or the other yet. You can choose later. You can choose. They, of course, the little kid doesn't even begin to comprehend the importance of what is at stake here. They don't get how serious this choice is, that their childish minds are making a choice, you know, like a boy who likes to play with Barbie dolls every now and then. Parents say, ah, clearly a girl. All right, we're going we're gonna to cu- cut your genitals off before you even hit the age of 13. Like, that's this is absolutely mind-boggling to me that she is still, again, pushing this narrative that this is something the kids are coming up with on their own. As if little kids, literally, we made this reference before and I'll make it again. It's more relevant than ever before. This is literally Brave New World, Jacob. This is literally little kids are learning about sex and running around playing naked with each other in the playground. That's what this is now. That's basically, we're just a few degrees removed from that at this well, point. And a lot of the viewers, I'm sure they are like Chris Wallace. They are still living back in the 1960s and 70s, and they believe that the dichotomy between the parties is the same as it was then. So when they hear Republicans say that 
that teachers, that Democratic teachers want to groom your kids and they want to sow doubt in your children's six-year-old kid's mind if he is a boy or a girl. They think that's crazy talk. That's nonsense. It would never happen. And then they watch Chris Wallace because they want to hear a sensible centrist. And then he has Jen Psaki on it. She basically says, yeah, everything that Republicans are saying about us is true. We do believe that it's possible for a six-year-old to wonder if he's a boy or a girl, and we believe that teachers should encourage them in that confusion. Basically, just laying it on the table. Yes, we believe it's normal for a kid to wonder if they're a male or a female, and we should not pass laws making it illegal for teachers to encourage their confusion. So at least you can say we have reached the point in this country where in the political discourse, they have laid everything on. They have laid their cards on the table. They have said, yes, this is what we believe. We are going to explain what we believe. We're not going to try to obfuscate it. And you can take it or leave it. So I feel like this is the this is really we've made some progress at this point because of that. They're saying the quiet part out loud, basically, and they're just counting on their supposedly inevitable majorities that are coming up, whether it's with the demographic shifts, with, you know, illegals coming over the border who will blindly vote for them solely because, oh, the Democrats are the party that gave me amnesty. Illegals who very well may not care much for this transgender nonsense, but they'll vote for the Democrats for that reason. Or otherwise, the legalized voter fraud and stuff. They're counting on a permanent majority through these various institutional methods and these political strategies that will allow them to put this stuff out to the voters directly, and they know their voters won't care. Their voters will be single issue on something else, and they will vote for the party despite the tranny stuff and despite you know the, the race-baiting stuff. Not not because of it, but despite it. And they are hoping that this will not eventually create a backlash. I, I guess they didn't get the message in after what happened in Virginia last year. Again, that re- represented a roughly 12-point swing. Biden won it by 10. Youngkin won it by 2. And that absolutely does not bode well for Democrats in seats that are as high as D plus 10 in the House and elsewhere across the country this November. So they just are continuing to live in a bubble, and hopefully that bubble will be burst very soon. I don't think they're going to reverse course anytime soon because they have now – in put themselves so deep in bed with these minorities that now if they turn around and say, oh, OK, we're going to we're going to stop the trans stuff for a little while. You're going to have a bunch of, you know, blue haired fat freaks screaming and protesting outside the White House nonstop. And they of course, they don't want that. So I think in that sense, the walls are closing in them a little bit, not saying victory is imminent at hand for us yet, guys, but that they sooner or later are going to fall victim to the monster that they have created. And that ties into the main topic uh, that we had to address, again, in the same vein, you know, transitioning from one to the next. No pun intended. This trans stuff really is beyond out of control. And when I saw this story and wrote up this story for American Greatness, I knew we had to talk about it. So what's happening with the kids is terrible. The grooming of children, that is one thing. Then at the opposite end of the spectrum, you have this same trans agenda being put forward to pander to and cater and coddle and baby grown adults who are using it to abuse the system and you know that's what they're doing in illinois of course it was illinois judge nancy rosentangle of the u.s district court (laughs) you gotta be kidding me that is that is her name that's how it's spelled i assume that's how i pronounced it correctly give or take u.s district court for the southern district of illinois ended a three-year legal case by ruling that the united states bureau of prisons a federal agency must immediately schedule and pay for the gender transition surgery for a male prisoner who identifies as a woman. I wrote this for American Greatness. We'll have a link in the description below. Originally reported by USA Today. This involves the case of a male prisoner who thinks he is a woman 
going by the name of Christina Iglesias, which means his real name was probably Christian or something like that, because that, that's the thing a lot of these trannies do is when they change their name is they they take just a female version of their male name. You know, uh, Richard Levine, the, the tranny working for Biden HHS was just it was Richard Levine was his name and now he's Rachel Levine. So stuff like that. That's what they do. Uh, this is what's called dead naming. And I absolutely support dead naming and don't think we should back down on that. So Christian Iglesias or whatever your real name is, um, he sued basically arguing he has a right to get a transgender surgery. And uh, he was represented, of course, by the ACLU, because why the hell not? And the judge's order ultimately demands that the Bureau of Prisons, again, federal agency, must submit weekly updates to the court, constant updates on the progress of this operation, including a timeline for the surgery itself and details on the vetting process for the surgeon that will ultimately perform the operation. You know, they're going to track down a whole bunch of surgeons across the country to do this stuff, and they're going to find the best one. We're going to guarantee the best five-star care that this tranny could ask for. Oh, and by the way, the surgery must be completed before Iglesias' sentence ends in December, before he leaves custody in December, meaning that, of course, when that happens, it will be the taxpayers who pay for that. And, of course, the, the statement, the only thing more enraging than this, is the statement that was put out by the ACLU after the judge's decision. Uh, the lawyer who helped represent Iglesias' case Joshua Bletcher Cohen, hyphenated name because why not, said, quote, For years, Christina has fought to receive the health care the Constitution requires. The court's order makes clear that she, he, needs gender-affirming surgery now and that BOP cannot justify its failure to provide this medically necessary care. We hope this landmark decision will help secure long-overdue health care for Christina and for the many other transgender people in federal custody who have been denied gender-affirming care, end quote. So, as because as noted, this is the first time ever that the Federal Bureau of Prisons has been ordered to perform a transgender surgery, because there are some, quote-unquote, transgender prisoners in federal prisons across the country. This is the first time, and they've all asked for the surgery to be given special benefits and everything. This is the first time that that was enforced by law by a federal judge's ruling. So... This it's just a whole new level of absurdity, and especially when you tie it into another case involving transgender prisoners elsewhere in the country. Again, that was in Illinois. This is in New Jersey, and this is from Breitbart. Headline, two inmates pregnant after ACLU lawsuit brings transgender women to New Jersey women's prison. Oh, of course. Of course, this was the next step. Uh, absolutely. I mean, again, a lot of these, again, these these transgender prisoners, they don't actually, again, this individual Iglesias was the first one to actually get the, the operation that he really wants. None of them are getting the operation. None of them are getting mutilated. They're not getting their genders changed, quote unquote. They are just men who are wearing wigs or letting their hair grow out or whatever, who now want to go to a women's prison. And of course, you know, communal showers and whatnot. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? It's not rocket science here. And, of course, this happened, by the way, when about uh, 27 prisoners were ultimately allowed to be transferred to a women's prison in New Jersey after a lawsuit uh, last year in 2021 filed by – wait for it. Jacob, want to take a wild guess? The ACLU. Yep. The ACLU came through for them in New Jersey as well. And as a result of this ruling, two women are pregnant in prison, no less. Okay, I mean, I'm sorry. How deranged are these people? This just really blows my mind. I know I know. I probably should have gotten even more passionate about this over, like, the children being indoctrinated, because that is one thing. But this is a whole nother level. Guaranteed by the Constitution, 
getting your gender changed surgically is a constitutional right. I can, can you imagine if the founding fathers could even hear that today? Can you imagine what George Washington would think if he could hear that people are now arguing that's the right in the Constitution? <laughs> Give me a freaking break. He would demand that they be tarred and feathered and thrown into the Boston Harbor. No, nah, he'd probably be like, you know what? We were wrong, boys. We were, let's we, go we back were to wrong. the king. <laughs> let's, we, we should just stay colonies forever. God save the king. <laughs> I'm sorry. The only surgery that should be guaranteed for mentally ill inmates like these people are castrations, as far as I'm concerned. As in the New Jersey evidence, the New Jersey incident is perfect evidence of that. Imagine, if you will, a horrifying scenario. Imagine, assuming that those two pregnancies are not aborted, which they probably will. Imagine that they're not aborted, though. Can you imagine how screwed up those kids are going to be from the moment they are born from their childhood, how screwed they're going to be knowing that their mothers were in prison and their fathers were tranny freaks. Can you even imagine, uh, put them in a really good, get, hope they get adopted by a really good Christian religious couple or something, because otherwise they are going to be scarred from that just inevitably from childhood. Well, just imagine if you have a daughter in prison and you're reading this article that this judge is allowing these men to enter into her prison cell and then you find out that she's pregnant. And that she's been raped. Imagine how enraging that is, how, how, how helpless that makes our general population. And that you can't do anything about it because judges are signing off on it. And the ACLU was saying, nah, this will be fine. Like, there's nothing you can do because the system supports this stuff. Well, and it, it reminds me of whenever I was in Massachusetts, uh, they passed a law that made it illegal for anyone to oppose someone entering the bathroom of their choice. So much so that you could have a scenario where a man goes into a bathroom rapes the daughter of a father standing outside the door, comes out, tells the father what he did. The daughter comes out, tells him what happened. And if that father says anything, not touches, but says anything to that man, he can go to prison for two years. This is Massachusetts law. This is what the Republican governor signed into law in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And they made the wording so convoluted that I had people who worked with me for that Republican governor who opposed that bill who one guy called me on the phone and was asking me about that amendment. He didn't understand it. He voted for it. I explained to him, no, 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 you just voted for it. He said, oh, no, I don't want to vote for that. But that's just what they do. They make these laws so convoluted and put it in such legalese that the average person doesn't know what's going on, and then they can interpret the law like this judge interpreted it. Exactly, and I think this brings to such an important point is that whether you know, whatever Baker's ultimate motivations may have been there, you mentioned this before that you know there's people who still genuinely don't fully understand what this transgender stuff is, and it's time that we had this discussion here on the right take. This may seem obvious to some of you guys, our listeners and our, our viewers, but we need to lay out fully what our stance is here when it comes to transgenderism. First and foremost, as Part of this broader attack on grooming, transgenderism is the heart of all of this. This you know, grooming is fundamentally teaching the children the idea that, oh, gender isn't real. You can choose whatever gender you want, which is the basis of transgenderism, the idea that gender is a social construct. It doesn't exist. You can choose whatever your gender is. They try to, you know, again, they play semantics. They claim, oh, no, no, sex is the term for, you know, your genitals, you know, male or female. Gender means whatever identity you, you choose. Like, they're... It's the same thing with, you know, trying to claim that, like, you know, gay now means homosexual, you know, like the hijacking of certain words and trying to, in this case, split it apart so that, like, they can claim, oh, no, no, gender's always been fluid. Gender's always, that's always been a thing. I remember, brief little anecdote here, when I was in college, I remember having a debate like this with some, uh, some you know, woman of color leftist student, um, and I said, uh, this was over a Facebook board. This was not in person, of course. But I mentioned, like, you know, of course there's two genders. What are you talking about? And she said, um, actually, that's like that's like a Western notion. That's a white Christian notion that only was really became popular in, like, you know, the 1700s and the Enlightenment and whatnot. There's evidence of ancient civilizations that that acknowledge more than two genders. 
And I remember thinking to myself, I didn't say this. I wish I, I wasn't as ballsy back then as I am now. But if I was back then, I would have said what was on my mind, which is, oh, you say ancient civilizations. Hmm. I wonder why they're ancient, why they're not around anymore. Just side <laughs> well, note. I mean, because the same reason why the Aztecs aren't around anymore. Yeah, I was about to say, same. Uh, there's also evidence of ancient civilizations sacrificing people to their gods, and tearing just... their hearts out on an altar. Yeah, exactly. But again, we need to come back to this. It needs to be clearly defined in the simplest terms so we know the monster we're dealing with here. Transgenderism is just a new pretty word for gender dysphoria. That is the official term as labeled by Johns Hopkins University up until very recently when they were threatened with cancellation before they uh, revised their uh, their uh, terminology for it. Gender dysphoria is a mental illness in which a person believes they are of the opposite gender of that th- which way they were born. You know, it's, it's what led to, you know, like Buffalo Bill, the serial killer in Silence of the Lambs. I know that's fictional, but that's that's the example I'm using. That a man who believed he was a woman and turned to killing women as a result. Now, maybe we're not seeing something that drastic yet, but that is the general idea. It is a mental disorder And like any other mental illness, like schizophrenia or what have you, it is a mental illness that needs to be treated and cured by any means necessary, not coddled and not encouraged. And that is what's happening here. It's no different than telling a uh, an anorexic person, you know, oh, yes, you you're right. You know, your body better than anyone else. You are really fat and you need to lose even more weight. No, that's that's not what you do with someone who's anorexic. You, You try to help them get the care they need to actually be healthy rather than continue trying to starve themselves into a skeleton. So we here at The Right Take, I believe this is our mutual stance, Jacob, we have an absolute, no-holds-barred, zero-tolerance policy towards trannies and the idea of transgenderism. It is an absolute, insane mental illness that needs to be called out and should never, ever be acknowledged. You know, anytime you say LGBT, sorry, by including the T, you're acknowledging it as a, 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 a gender identity, as part of that coalition. It is not a real thing. And in order to further fight back against this, we need to understand how – and Jacob, we've talked about this off the air. There's a lot of people on the right, you know, certainly like older voters, older voters, you know, baby boomers and whatnot, who otherwise would be galvanized by this issue, kind of like what you saw in Virginia, except they don't fully understand what transgenderism is – what transgenderism is, even is, right, Jacob? You if said they, that – If they did understand it, they would be – they would have been focused on, on this issue the past two elections rather than focusing on socialism. The fact that they were even talking about socialism or talking about anything other than this one issue is proof that most of them don't know what it is. And I've even talked to some – I've talked to an older Democrat in Washington, D.C., about this issue, about he was just talking to him about how I think the world is going. I was like, yeah, I think it was better back in the 90s. I think America is a country is better in the 90s. He was like, why? Well, what's the reason? And I explained like this issue, what's going on. And his response was, well, my attitude is like I'm straight, but if you want to be gay, you can be gay. And it didn't dawn on me at the time, but he had no idea what I was talking about. He thought I was talking about he, – he heard me say trans, and he thinks LGBT. He's thinking gay and straight. Because the stereotype being that like gay men act very feminine and put on makeup and stuff like that. Yeah, and I think he thought – and to some other people I've talked to, I think there's a misconception that people think you're talking about cross-dressers. Or drag queens basically, like men just dressing up in dresses and skirts and whatnot, which you know, again, like drag queens mostly are men. They, they usually don't go through the gender transition or whatever, but they dress like women. So th- and that too is what you think they – are probably thinking about right well because back in the day before transgenderism became a thing like that those were like your pre-transgenders people who would Mm cross-dress but i don't think i don't think they quite it quite clicks that these people are so messed up in the head that they actually want to self-mutilate in order to become another gender and they're demanding that we accept it but they also if they haven't even made it that far 
then if you start talking about non-binary people, then you've completely lost them. They have no idea what that is. So how are you supposed to fight a culture war? How are you supposed to win a political culture war if your foot soldiers don't even have any weapons to fight with? You're basically sending them into battle with no spears, no swords, no ammunition, and they're taking on uh, you know a modern military. And they scene. and they don't understand the battlefield either. They don't understand the layout of the battlefield. That's also a super important super important aspect. Is that they don't even understand the terminology and the range of language being used here. Again, they don't know what non-binary means. They don't understand. No, these people literally think. A man can become a woman. And, of course, yeah, the surgery is a part of it, but there are some people who think you don't have to have the surgery to identify as the other gender. You can just choose – again, Will Thomas, the the University of Pennsylvania swimmer, uh, to our knowledge, has not yet undergone the surgery or anything, but he's taken hormone blockers and whatnot. But he still is – physically, anatomically, a male. And again, there were reports that well over a dozen of his female teammates complained anonymously to the coach and to uh, media outlets complaining he's walking around naked as a guy in the locker room, and they're not happy about that. They're like, yo, can this guy not be here doing this? Like, he hasn't even done that much yet. And of course, the school shuts him down and says, no, don't be transphobic. He's our star. She's our star now. They call him a she. He's our star swimmer now. You're not allowed to insult him or, you know, criticize him now. If you take that to its logical conclusion, if you do criticize him, then you could be sued for everything you're worth. Yep. And that's why that's why a lot of people have been critical of female swimmers who don't speak out against this. Like, well, apparently they're okay with it. Otherwise, they would just quit in mass. But you're not taking into account a lot of times their scholarship is riding on this. And if they yep. quit, they they lose the scholarship. They they get bullied because they don't want to come out as transphobic. And then but, they're in debt. Yeah, and then they're then they're in debt because they've bought their parents have bought into the whole go to college to enter the middle class nonsense. But the thing is, when it comes to this issue, this is an issue that if you take it to its logical conclusion then you can have men commit crimes against women and then say, hey, I'm a woman, and be charged as if they were women. You can have a situation, as we were already seeing, where men claim that they're women and demand to be sent to a female prison so they can start raping the women in that prison. And there's nothing that anybody can do about it if you accept the idea that uh, that that non-binary people are actually a real thing, that that's not a mental illness. And you've got to look to at the the grand scheme of things and that this may seem like, you know, the final destina- destination of absolute insanity with sexuality, you know, degeneracy and whatnot. But I think it's not. Jacob, I think this is it's only just begun. Now, of course, we could trace back the roots all the way back to, of course, Obergefell v. Hodges, the disastrous Supreme Court case that legalized gay marriage. When you look at the country prior to that, that as recently as the 2008 presidential election cycle, both Obama and Hillary Clinton were publicly against gay marriage that that's how far we've come that you know just a few cycles later we've gone from that to this Mm -hmm. and it all started with gay marriage and it's been said of course you know the slippery slope uh, we learned i learned about this in my english class all the way back in high school it's a fallacy it's the fallacy of saying that you know oh if you do this it'll inevitably lead to this you know a quick slope from a to z right away just from one small instance to an extreme but it needs to be said that with the gay stuff with the gay rights gay marriage now the trans stuff The left has taken the slippery slope and turned it from a fallacy into a tactic. That is how we got to where we are today, and it has only just begun. I've talked about this with coworkers, and some of them have agreed that the the true end goal, and this this is being hopeful that this will be the end goal of this, is the normalization of pedophilia. Because when you have normalized the idea of teaching this to little kids, teaching sexuality to little kids, and having them open up to this stuff at a very young age and an unnaturally young age— you are allowing them to potentially have these these discussions 
and possibly even encounters with adults. And you see this from a handful of professors and other leftist activists around the country. This doesn't appear to be mainstream on the left yet, but the key word is yet. And the term they're putting out for this is minor attracted persons, MAP, people who as just like, you know, being gay or lesbian or trans or whatever is just the way you are. It's just how you're born. Oh, people just some people just can't help but being attracted to children. That's the narrative they're going for. They're basically saying, don't say pedophile anymore. That's that's not a good word for anymore. They're minor attracted persons and they need to be understood and we can need to help them and not demonize them there. There was this one professor. I don't remember what his name was. Uh, The clip went viral and. I don't think he got fired. Uh, it's very hard to fire a professor, but he did get reprimanded. Like the university put out a statement, like disavowing his statements, which is good. But again, this is the slow march onward that you are seeing. That again, we went from gay marriage to trans stuff. So the idea that again, ten years ago, Jacob, in in 2012, but by the time Obama came out in favor of gay marriage in the 2012 election when he was reelected, no one was talking about the trans stuff. Still, this was still a distant a distant fringe. It was not mainstream yet. And now here we are. And again, you have things like. I will never forget that one thing that Elizabeth Warren said on the campaign trail in 2020 where she said, you know, like as hardcore virtue signaling during Pride Month that the highest number of violent crimes are committed against transgender women of color. You know, she she said that statement. I don't remember exactly when, but she said that. And And I think you could tell looking in her eyes and listening to her voice, she believed it. And a lot of these people, certainly the AOC types and the younger, the Zoomers and Millennials believe it. They believe this stuff. That's why you see the latest reports that uh, twice as many members of Gen Z, Zoomers as it were, twice as many identify as LGBT compared to millennials. And millennials are twice as much as the previous generations, which that to me right there should prove all you need to know. This whole thing, tranny stuff, it's a fad. It's not real. It is something that has only come into existence within the last few years, and it's become fashionable now. It's become the in thing to say, oh, I'm trans. I'm part of an oppressed minority, guys. You know, I saw this even back when I was in high school. There were several girls who told me they identified as bisexual because it was the in thing to do. And it's kind of a cop out, too. It's kind of funny to see the uh, really inside baseball within the LGBT crowd, LGBTQ, XYZ plus barbecue, KKK, that even a lot of them don't look fondly upon bisexuals because they see a lot of bisexuals as people who jump on it just for a trend. I remember <laughs> they, they refer to them as trans trenders, as people who they, they seem as interlopers like, oh, you're just claiming to be part of our coalition because it's a cool thing. But because a lot of most bisexual people end up with someone of the opposite gender anyway. So they're, bas- they're basically straight. They-, they basically are straight, but they still claim some semblance of... Like Kristen Cinema is an example. She claims to be bisexual. So it- it- that's just a little bit of a side tangent there. But this is a trend. This is a dangerous trend that is preying upon the naivety of youth, whether it's little kids who don't know... Little children in first grade who do not know any better, or teenagers who are all angsty and moody and, of course, kind of starting their sexual development and don't really know... Yeah, and certainly want to rebel against their parents, and they always want to rebel against the old and what came before them. And they're drawn into this stuff, and they're drawn into the the libertine culture, as you will, of high school and certainly college. It's dangerous. It's out of control, and it needs to be called out and for what it is, and it needs to be stopped by force. And this is why what DeSantis is doing in Florida is great. Not only the law he passed, the parental rights law, but also going after Disney and bringing the hammer down on them for coming out in support of grooming. That is good. We need to see more of that. The the worst the use of the word and the term grooming on the American right, as we talked about in our episode, OK Groomer, that is brilliant messaging. That is triple A plus, you know, $60 triple A title quality stuff that needs to be used consistently from now until November. That is a winning issue. Again, it played somewhat of a role in the Virginia election. CRT, critical race theory, was kind of the thing. 
in Virginia, but the transgender stuff was kind of also there again because you you had the Loudoun County case. Remember, Jacob? You had the father whose daughter was raped by a tranny who then uh, was a boy wearing a skirt. The school district covered it up, transferred him to another school, and he attacked another girl. And then they finally – they could not cover it up anymore. But that needs to be that kind of energy – that needs to happen nationwide, and we need to galvanize the whole population to realize what a danger this is. Well, a lot of people wonder, why are things falling off so quickly? Why is the it's just society falling apart altogether? The answer to that is when you completely reject Christianity as a civilizational force. You completely reject the society of Western civilization and Western Europe that Christianity produced over multiple centuries as a good civilizational force that created a superior civilization to the civilizations and cultures that came before it, then you're going to, all you're doing is destroying your own culture, your own civilization, and then you're going to look for something else. You're going to try to create your own thing. And that's, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing our elites who are are for the most part, godless atheists who are trying their best to create their own thing. And they're starting from scratch, and they're making a mess of it. Like, if you go back to the 80s, 90s, yeah, there were problems. There were lots of problems. But society in general did not completely reject its founding, did not completely reject its ancestry like they do today. If you speak to any elite today, they completely reject everything that came before 2010 as illegitimate, as evil, as corrupt, as backwards. And they want to completely renew society in their own image. And when you're faced with that, you're faced with the same thing that the Russians were faced with in 1918. Mm-hmm. And you can't reason with that. You can't convert that. You have to defeat that. You cannot coexist with that. Especially because – and this is the language. This, these are tactics being used by you – know, it's been called this before and it is appropriate – cultural Marxism. It's the denial of reality. It's the redefining of the notion of truth, the idea that truth is no longer tied to a statement of fact. It's no longer tied to empirical evidence. It's no longer in, tied to, you know, H2O is the formula for water. You know, the sky is blue. Day is day is when the sun is out and night is when the moon is out. It is no longer tied to statements of fact. Truth is now, and you hear this phrase, you hear this phrase a lot. It's been used by the left. It was used back during the Kavanaugh confirmation when they were referring to uh, Blasey Ford's accusations, which of course were false. There was no evidence behind them. But you heard several senators during the testimony refer to it as, quote, her truth, or referring to her directly, mm-hmm. your truth. That is the phrase, your truth. It, truth is whatever you want it to be. So when you deny the idea of reality, you know, God's creation or what can be proven by science or what have you, when you deny the basic realities like the genders and say there is no gender, boys can be girls, girls can be boys. Again, it's cliche. It's even kind of boomer, but it's true. It's Orwellian. It's 1984. War is peace and peace is war. We've always been at war with this country and we've always been at war with that country. They have now completely changed our perception of reality. And they're trying to make the worst part is they're trying to make you, you, our listeners, people like Jacob and I, the sensible people on the right in the United States, common American citizens. They're trying to make you feel like you're the insane one. If you question any of this stuff and point out, as we did, Hey, 10 years ago, guys, this wasn't a thing. They will make it seem like you're the crazy one. They'll do to you what they did to Galileo. And Galileo was simply pointing out the – questioning the notion that like, hey, maybe uh, the, the, you, our galaxy does revolve around the sun rather than the earth. You're crazy. You're a heretic. You must be thrown away, thrown in jail. You must be put into exile. They will punish you for speaking the truth. And the point is to make you doubt the truth yourself because they, of course, have already bought into this lie. They've been buying into this lie for years, and they've been building up to this for generations. When they get the resistance, the people in the population who stand against this to question it themselves or even just hesitate, then they've basically already won. And that, my friends, that, ladies and gentlemen, is the right take.
on transgenderism and what needs to be done about it. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have left for this special episode of The Right Take. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this and the the slight variety in our content with this one. And we hope to be able to do things like this in the future as well to deliver the best, newest content for you guys. As a matter of fact, stay tuned because next week we are going to be delivering another very special episode, a slightly different format, different from what you guys are used to, different from even our past few guest interviews we have done. But it is something new. It's a new sub-series we are starting here in addition to our regular content here on The Right Take. So as always, be sure to stay tuned for that and all of our other new content at our website, righttakepodcast.com. The full list of websites and podcast platforms where we are available, righttakepodcast.com slash subscribe. And as always, if ever you guys are feeling oh so generous and want to support us in what we do, righttakepodcast.com slash support. We'll talk to you next week, guys.